Man, I love the words that say, this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not faint. The power of the gospel to redeem, to reconcile the lost is just as powerful today, tonight, in this room, as it has been over the last 2,000 years. Amen? Do you guys believe that? Like three of you. Great. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Let me pray for us as we head into our time in the Word tonight. Lord Jesus, we just come before you, and, and it is so good to be able to sing your praises, Lord Jesus. And we sing out of hearts that are responding to your great love for us. How you have lavished your love and your grace upon us. And though we don't deserve it, you choose to love us. And not just love us, but to transform us and to use us. That you have created us on purpose for a purpose, Lord Jesus. And so tonight, as we get to hear from Tim in a few minutes, Lord, I just pray that you would... Open our hearts, that we would be prepared to hear what you have for us tonight. That if we hear you speaking to us in this next little while, that we would not harden our hearts and not listen to you, but that we would lean in to you, Lord Jesus, and be willing to say yes to your call on our lives, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you don't know me, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. We are really excited that you are here. Can I just give props to our communications team who has created these like little badges now? I feel like we're like so official. So thank you guys, everybody that's that's done that. That we now know if you're looking at like, hey, who's on Salt Leadership? And if you're new and you have a question, find anybody that's got a badge, and we can help you get answers to those questions and find ways to be connected. And so uh, we hope that you're going to get to do that tonight. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, normally, we would do our worship and then a message and then small groups and come back together. Tonight, we're going to do something different because a massive change is happening in the life of Monroe. Um, and IHOP has come to town. And, yeah, I think that says a little bit about Monroe that we're this excited for IHOP. <laughs> Uh, so afterwards tonight, we're going to encourage you, uh, a bunch of people are going to go to IHOP, so if you want to do that, join in. Some of you are dressed in suit and ties tonight to go, and dresses to go to IHOP, so that's just fun. Um, yeah, we are excited. Tonight, uh, we are getting to hear from an organization called Rain Ministries and Royal Servants, and uh, I first heard of them when I met Jerry. Jerry is in the back here. Everybody turn around and look at Jerry here. He's sitting on the stool back here. Jerry goes to Cascade here. And um, Jerry first shared his story of what God has done in his life. And Jerry's willingness to say yes to the call on his life and where that has, God has taken him because he continues to say yes is pretty astounding. And so if you ever see Jerry in the hall, in the church, stop him and ask him to tell you his story. Uh, because I guarantee you will be encouraged and challenged in your faith and in your walk by talking with him. And so Jerry reached out and said, hey, uh, I want to tell you guys about Rain and Royal Servants and the opportunities that are there uh, for missions. And so if you know Cascade, you've been coming for any bit of time, you know, here at Cascade, we are all about loving God, loving people, and 
and living generously. And living generously means that we are wanting to put ourselves on the line to go and serve like Jesus. And we want to do that here, near, and far all over the world. That we believe when Jesus said we are to go, that that wasn't just a, hey, this is a nice idea, but actually a commandment to go and be on mission. And so um, we're going to talk about missions a little bit tonight. And I want you to have your heart open to what God might give you the opportunity to step into maybe even this last, this next summer. Um, We had a number of students go with this organization last year and their lives have been radically transformed. Um, And we could share more of their stories another time, but I don't want to take all of Tim's time tonight. So would you welcome Tim up as he shares from the word, shares a little bit about Royal Servants with us tonight. Okay. I'm going to be honest, if I'd known there was an IHOP opening, I would have dressed up a little bit. Good <laughs> deal. <laughs> I feel embarrassed, but it's fine. I guess John didn't want to tell me. <laughs> um, like he said, I'm Tim. I work with a ministry called Rain Ministries. Um, the division primarily I work with in that ministry is Royal Servants. It's a summer mission trip program. But uh, just a little bit more about me. I am from Texas originally, but I met my wife in Arkansas, and we lived there for a while, and we moved up to Minneapolis, and that's where we live. Um, And uh, my favorite color right now is probably orange. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm more of a dog person, honestly. Yes. Cats can be. Yeah, I'm done with them. (laughs) They betrayed me enough. And you, those of you who are not here, you know what that, you know what that means. They betrayed us enough. Well, so I do work for a missions group, but right now I primarily want to talk to you about you. Um, Specifically, that you are not who you think you are. Have you ever tried something new? Not necessarily because you thought you'd be good at it, or even, like, you didn't even think you'd enjoy it. Anyone? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I did one time, and uh, I'll tell you about it. It was uh, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, but I'm going to share it with you. I've never met any of you before, so buckle up. So I work with Rain Ministries now, but in 2017, I had been on a few trips with them in my teenage years, and 2017 rolls around, and the leader of my very first trip from back in the day calls me up and says, hey, the summer's coming, and I want you to help me lead a trip. I was like, awesome. Yeah. You mean like those leaders, those adult leaders when I was a kid? They were so cool. They had it all together and they definitely weren't freaking out inside. They had all the answers for sure. They were so calm and collected. Awesome. I can do that. I have this specific memory of a, uh, a guy leader on one of my teams who, he was just, he just had this dry humor. And he was the coolest, smoothest dude ever. And I thought, man, you know what? I need to be him. Because obviously, I can't be me, right? That would be ridiculous. To, to, to assume that I could go on this trip and do this job just as myself, that's crazy talk. You're, you're bonkers at that point, right? I have to be someone else. That's what I thought. So I show up, and I have this idea of who I need to be. And that, that guy, I remember, was 
in charge of the money on the trip. So I volunteered to handle the money. Now, th that means I'm handling the money for all, like, close to 30 people on the team, right? All the money everyone has raised to go on these trips, they're giving it, they're giving it to old Timbo, right? I'm stepping up to the plate. I am so bad at <laughs> I am so bad at like receipts and spreadsheets and accounts and balancing books. But what was my thought process? I don't need to be me. I shouldn't be me. I should be someone else. It worked out super well. Huh. Unrelated, have y'all ever like really failed at something so miserably that just kind of crushed you? Me either. Anyway, um, no, that uh, that failure thing would probably describe the first ninety-nine percent of that summer, and I'm not even going to tell you about that first ninety-nine percent. I'm going to tell you about the, the last one percent. So it had been a tough summer. I was struggling, right? I, I, I'm bad at math. I can't get these books balanced throughout the entire summer. My trip leaders having to put up with it the whole time. Like, why did I ask this dude? to come help me. Why would I let him ever look at the money in the first place? Um, but I made, it. I made it through. It's the last night of the trip. We're in our debriefing week in London at a church. I'm in my room. It's 2 a.m. The bus is coming to pick us up at 3 a.m. to take us to the airport and take me out of the worst nightmare of my life. I'm balancing the books, and I think I finally get it. I finally get it. It's all balanced. It's all put together. And I pack up. Great. Done. Awesome. I'm, I'm packing my stuff. I clean up all my trash. I vacuum the room. Everything. Done. I get on the bus. I get some sleep. It's great. We get to the airport. Uh, before we go through security, my leader, Dave, is just kind of like, hey, yeah, you know what would be fun? You know what would be crazy? Let's exchange our British money back into American money. I'm like, yeah, that'd be crazy. Let's do it. Let's see what happens. And so I do it. Great. Yeah. I go to the exchange place, I exchange the money, get American money back. Awesome. And then I'm like, ah, you know what would be, be even fun, even more fun? If I like count up all the American money I have and just make sure it matches the number I have in this book. Let's just see what happens. And so I'm counting it. Um, and the, the number, like, it stops. It stops a little too soon. So it, it actually stops a lot too soon. And so I, I realize I'm missing $1,500. You know. So I, I almost throw up right there, right? <laughs> So I look everywhere. I'm looking through my bags, I'm looking through like my pockets. I can't find it anywhere. So I'm like, okay, where? I, I know what I'm missing. I know that there's an envelope that I didn't have to break into all summer that has $1,500 in it. Where is that envelope? So I'm trying to think, where was the last time I saw it? Okay, I, I was at the church in London, but I was balancing the books. I finally got it all sorted. I pack up all my stuff. I throw it on my Yeah, you got it. You get it. Yeah, uh, I threw away fifteen hundred dollars. That's not just bad at math. That's just 
That's just sad. Uh, and then the next fun part was to go tell my leader. So I walk up to him and I'm like, Dave, I'm missing $1,500. I don't know what to do. And he's like, it's, a, it's okay. It's going to be okay. We'll find it. And if we don't, it's going to be okay. And I said, all right, well, you're about to find out where it is. <laughs> So I told him I threw away $1,500. So like I said, the first 99% of that summer was tough. He had already had to put up with me for a lot of stuff. So when he was looking at me, I had, I walked into the summer with a certain identity I should have, right? Now at this point, I still have that problem, but in the reverse almost, I am taking on this identity of the guy who failed this summer, the guy who threw away $1,500. But he looked at me, and he didn't see a failure. He didn't see the guy who throws away $1,500. He saw a brother who had messed up and was letting the shame crush him bone by bone. And I was. I was letting the shame crush him because... That's who I thought I was now. Now, by God's grace, there was another team flying into London to do their debriefing, end of their trip, to stay at the same church. So I'm sure when they landed, the leader of that trip got a strange series of texts from my leader and ran inside as soon as they pulled out to the church and pulled out an envelope with $1,500 in it. I heard that they had found it, and I was like, oh, great, awesome, why don't I feel better? Why hasn't that weight fallen off? Because I still threw away $1,500, right? You could, you could look at solving the problem, solving the material issue, and there was still something unseen happening in me, something you can't quantify that was affecting how I valued myself. A couple years later, they asked me to help them lead another trip. And I was like, what? Did you not hear? You didn't hear about the money thing, I guess. Or else you wouldn't ask me. And they were like, no, we heard about the money thing, yeah. We don't want you to handle the money. <laughs> we're going to have you handle, like, the food. But, and I was like, what if I throw away a bag of food? I don't know. Anything could happen. Nothing's off the table at this point. <laughs> but they believed in me. Because when they looked at me, they didn't see the guy who threw it right, that I was taking on that identity and making it who I was, but they knew that there was something even greater about me, something that I can't mess up, something that I don't have to prove, something that just is, something that I wasn't seeing. So why do I tell you this story? There's something about our search for identity that is directly related to our search for value, right? What am I worth? And that search for value, what's underneath that is, what do I say when someone tries to throw me away? What can I pull out of my back pocket and say, no, but this, this is why you shouldn't throw me away. I have this, I can do this, I am this. 
We're searching for the sun of our solar system. Whatever we can revolve our life around. Almost 10 years ago, a couple in California, uh, this is a true story, you can look it up, it's super cool. Uh, a couple in California owned a big property or something, and they were walking their dog, and they passed a tree, and the dog found a gold coin buried beneath the tree. And so they, they decided to dig more, I guess, and they found 1,400 gold coins. This was 10 years ago. This is freaking buried treasure in California. That much gold was worth $27,000. I just threw away $1,500. Can you imagine just burying $27,000? I would have just sold all that, all that gold immediately for whoever had $27,000 on. Just like, here, take it. Give me $27,000. Awesome. But they didn't. They knew that there was something else going on, right? So they decided to have like an appraiser come through, and they realized most of those coins dated back to, what was it, 1847. They were more than 160 years old. That's crazy. So something changed about their value. They eventually, with that info, they sold all of that lot. Does anyone want to guess how much? How much they sold it for? 200 k 200K? It's close. 10? 10, 10 million. <laughs> they sold it for 10 million, and I almost hypothetically sold it for $27,000. Imagine, imagine selling that for $27,000 and then hearing that the person you sold it to offloaded it for $10 million. Would you be super jazzed? I wouldn't be super jazzed. I'd be pretty bummed. Ten million dollars. So there was something about those coins, there was something about their value that changed because of their age, their history, their condition. They were in mint condition, I've got much of that. So there was something different about their value other than what you could just see on a scale if you just measure them, if you just weigh them. And if you looked at the current value of gold in the market. Something else was increasing the value. In Judges 13 through 16, we see Samson. And he had been set up by God to be an authority, a judge over the people of Israel. And God had blessed him with strength. And God had also charged him to live by a certain code, the code of the Nazarite. And it's a very complex thing. It's got a lot of meaning behind it. But very simplified down, it's a lot of do's and don'ts. Um, again, a lot of meaning behind it, but a lot of these and don'ts. And most of the stories we have of Samson are just examples of him breaking these codes. Just over and over, and still having strength. Because his identity, I think, was in his ability to do strong man things, in his role as the strong man of Israel. His identity wasn't in God or God's kind of charge on him. He cries out to God two times in his story. Once when he's dying of thirst and then once when he's been blinded and bound. But never was he fully relying on God. His worth, he thought, was in his strength. Just like I thought my worth would be in my ability to do money. Well, it wasn't. 
So who do you think you are? Who does your family say you are? Or who do your friends say you are? Who do you tell yourself you are? How much worth does that give you? About $27,000? Seems like a lot. We all felt like it was a lot before we mentioned $10 million. Or does it give you more like a $10 million value? Which seems small given the actual truth of it, but for the sake of the illustration, is it more like $10 million? Is it based on the unchanging, actually ever-growing value system of the kingdom, the kingdom of God? Did anyone have a Bible on? Yeah? Okay, awesome. Can you turn to Ephesians 1, 7? Yeah? You're in Ephesians? Yeah, the whole group is in Ephesians. Oh, nice. Awesome. Well, then, hold on. Let me pick a different one. <laughs> okay, awesome. Will you read that one? Okay, what does that say? What does that say about us? Just real quick sum up. Okay, I'll spoil it for you. It's saying we're forgiven. What about Ephesians 2, 4 through 5? Can someone read that one for me? Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. So we're loved. What about verse 10 in chapter 2? Who can read that one for me? Go ahead. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, in which God prepared before me that we should walk in So we're prepared for good works. We're created for good works, right? Which means that we are created with the ability and the necessary faculties and equipment to do those good works. So we are equipped. We are forgiven, loved, and equipped. Those aren't just things about us. Those aren't just things about you. That's who you are. That is the deep, kind of soul level who you are. If someone walked up to you on the street and said, who are you? If you answered with those words, that would be a much more appropriate answer than your name. That would be a cosmically, astronomically more accurate answer than saying your name with the question, who are you? Say, I am forgiven, I am loved, and I am equipped, because that is an eternal truth. So what can you do about this? Examine where you find your worth. It is so subtle. It is so kind of secretive, the way we will twist what we're relying on, what we make our identity, where we find our value. I promise you, no matter how kind of flattering or affirming people's speech on this earth will be, if they are trying to tell you who you are outside of what Scripture says you are, outside of who Scripture says you are, they are grossly undervaluing you. They will never be able to understand that incredible value. 
they won't see beyond what you can get done. Because your worth is something cosmic. Your worth is actually worth the death and torture of an immortal king of heaven, right? Not just the world as a whole is worth that, but you are worth that. The torture and death of Jesus. To him, that was worth it to gain. In a church community, though, one that's in the word, one that's supporting each other, encouraging each other, they know your value. Because they know it is something beyond the molecules you can see in front of you. Right? Whatever you can weigh on a scale, however many gold coins you can put there, there's something beyond that as far as your value. When I was 16, I didn't know my worth. I was, I was the youngest of nine kids, and uh, I was taught pretty well by my older siblings that my worth was slim to none. Um, so when I was 16, I decided to go on a mission trip. I could not have told you why. I would have told you because missions. Great. <laughs> Love missions. I couldn't care less about missions. Not that I hated it. I was like, yeah, people do missions, sure. I couldn't, I didn't care. Why did I go? Because I knew there was something I was missing. I knew that there was something about me that I wasn't finding at home, that I wasn't even finding at church for all the good my church was doing. In my day-to-day -day life, I was stagnant. I was, my brain was off, basically. I needed to get out of my comfort zone and give God that breathing room. And it was on a mission trip where I was able to find that. I was pulled out of my day-to-day. -day. I was pulled out of my comfort zone. And I was told all the same things I had already been told, only it was finally clicking. I'm not saying that's what you need. I am saying... Our ministry deals with a lot of 13 to 18 year olds who do need that. And that's what I want to talk to you about next. So can we play the video that I have? Thank you. How are we doing on time though? Uh, we're close. Okay. We'll try to be quick then. So that's our video. Oh, am I on? Yeah, there we go. That's our video. Um, what we do with Royal Servants is we take students 13 to 18 years old overseas for about four to six weeks over the summer. So it's an extended amount of time, right? It is an incredible opportunity for us to get that amount of time with the student is awesome. We do a lot of outreach. We do a lot of evangelism. We do a lot of missionary support. We do tons of different things. It would depend on where you went if you came with us. But the core aspect of our ministry is hypothetically, you. We have volunteers who are young adults coming on our trips and giving up their summers to pour into a few, a handful of these students, right? So a young adult will get uh, two to maybe five students to be basically their small group leader throughout the entire summer, being able to do the Bible discussion for we do Bible reading every morning, so 
daily Bible discussion will happen as well, and you would lead them through that. You will also be there shoulder to shoulder with them through all their ministry, through all their you know, confusion about maybe the cultural aspects of the place they're in, and you get to go through all of it with them, and then they see that, and that is, that is priceless. For them to know that their leader is walking through every step of what they're going through, it's incredible. I did a summer in that role, and I am super mad I didn't do more. It was wonderful. I had four guys, and they were just the goofiest, weirdest boys, and I loved it. I got to pour into them. I got to keep up with them throughout the years. Three of them are married now. It's, it was such a wonderful experience. I would encourage you to pray about doing that. We go to six countries, or we've got six teams, one going to Peru, one going to Kenya, one to Nepal, one to Ireland, one to Costa Rica, and then one to Eastern Europe. We go, they go to about five countries in Eastern Europe. Um, we've got some brochures. Uh, our boss kind of ran away with most of the brochures, so we've got five brochures. So you got you got to fight, fight for them, all right? Or you could just go on our website. I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, but that'll have more information about what we do, where we go, why we do it. Um, but again, my encouragement to you would be that identity talk I was doing is kind of from my 16-year-old self. The things I wanted, the things I yearned for. And on my first trip, there was a young man who was a young adult who stepped in as my small group leader and guided me through that and showed me who I was. After every teaching, I was able to go to him and say, hey, I don't understand this. Is this, is this actually it? And he would say, yeah, that's it. Or, no, that's not it. <laughs> and he didn't have to have all the answers. He would often say, let me go ask someone, and then we'll talk about it. But he was always there for me. And then, a couple years later, I got to do that for someone. And then every summer, we just get the honor to see that happen over and over again. So I want you to pray about and taking that opportunity to do that incredible thing. To show these students that their worth is so far beyond what the world is going to tell them. What the world is already telling them. So yeah, pray about it. Jerry and I have answers to your questions, hopefully. And thanks for having me. Enjoy iPod. Thank you. questions right now or you want people to just talk to you afterwards? Yeah, I would love to take questions. Yeah. Do you guys have any questions? I didn't talk too much about it, so I didn't probably inspire too many questions. If I could say, so we had four students um, from Cascade go on these trips last year, and they were in the videos that you actually just watched. Um, And they came back, again, pretty radically shaped by these trips. Here, we talk about being people who, if we are a follower of Jesus, we are to be a disciple. And then if we're a disciple, we are to be disciple makers, right? And so what I like about Royal Servants is that this is an opportunity to be a disciple maker. For you to say, okay, this is what God has done in my life, or what God is doing in my life, and I'm going to go pour into somebody else's life. And through that process, you're also going to be equipped and grown and challenged and stretched as well. And so um, I would just encourage you to consider, is this something that I should do this next year? Um, Does that kind of make sense? It's hard to find a better place to invest your life than into the life of others, especially people who want to be on mission for Jesus. So 
Jerry, anything to add to that? I don't know if you mentioned AJ more. Yeah. Uh, how many of you guys know AJ? He's like a blonder version of Tim. Um, <laughs> he's like your height, but blonde, right? So Linda knows him somewhat. Uh, she's married him in like two months. Oh, uh, so. <laughs> two months to the day. March 23rd. Um, so AJ went and uh, he went with you guys to South America and was there for about eight weeks, I think, right? Total for everything. So um, it was a pretty awesome trip as well. So any questions that you guys have right now? Or we'll just let you guys connect with them afterwards. So worship team, do you guys want to come back up and close this out? And we'll go from there. Thank you. Can you guys say thank you to Tim? Yeah.